Hello, everyone. This is Melinda Russell with Racing Girls Rock Podcast. And it's my honor today to have Judy Dominic as my guest. I met Judy two or maybe three years ago now. Time flies, doesn't it, Judy? It I does. met her. I met her at PRI in Indianapolis. And I reached out to her to see if we could have her as a guest on the podcast because I know she's been involved in motorsports and I want her to tell us how she got involved. But first, we're going to learn a little bit about Judy. So please tell us a little bit about yourself, whatever you're comfortable sharing, um, you know, where you live, your family, pets, whatever, whatever you're comfortable with, and then we'll go from there. I currently live in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, but I was born in Colorado and lived on a cattle ranch out in eastern Colorado when I grew up. And then I've lived all over the country ever since, Indianapolis, Kansas City, um, say, uh, let's see, I can't even remember where else. Um, it's okay. New Mexico, whatever. Um, and um, the reason, truthfully, my grandfather was a rodeo rider oh. and my dad was a race car driver. And so I grew up in the boys' locker room, no matter what I did. And I decided that I liked cars better than bulls. Bulls think they're smart, cars don't. So I started um, being with my dad and his racing and then it just evolved. I took a few stops along the way to be a banker and to be a lobbyist. And um, um, then I owned a motorcycle dealership and the racing started for real at that point when I bought the motorcycle dealership. Okay. You've had a lot of fun over the years then, I can tell. Probably too much, but that's okay. So I can never have well lived. Yeah, and you can never have too much fun, I don't think. That's important. Um, yeah, is, for sure. Yep. So Judy, let's that you started a little bit of your story, how you got involved in motorsports. So you owned a motorcycle dealership. So how did that lead then to you getting involved? I know you've been very involved in motorsports for a number of years. How did, how did that go from owning a motorcycle dealership to getting involved in, in motorsports? Well, um, in my motorcycle dealership allowed me access to uh, some various kinds of motorsports in Colorado, um, road racing, flat track, motocross. And then I had some friends who owned a midget and a sprint car that I sponsored. And then a friend of mine named John Harmson owned Jolly Rancher Candy. And uh-huh. I grew up with the Bandemir family because my dad raced against Johnny Bandemir in up Pikes Peak and in different what they called big cars then, which are now champ cars. Well, you know, champ dirt cars. And um, John, uh, John Harmson called me one day and he said, I, want to, I have a driver I want you to meet and see if you think I should sponsor him. And I said, uh, why me? And he said, because you have good instincts. And I said, okay. So I drove down to Jolly Rancher. I was in Boulder. My dealership was in Boulder. And Jolly Rancher was in Westminster, Colorado. And um, I walked in John's office and there sat John Force. <laughs> John Force of 1983. A John Force who hadn't washed his hair or and put on a clean t-shirt or owned a decent pair of tennis shoes. So from there, I ended up being John's very first PR person. Um, I'm very glad that um, it worked out well for Jolly Rancher. He won the Mile High Nationals that year. And um, they went on to sponsor him on the Western Tour and he won two out of the four because that's when they went from Denver to Seattle to Portland to Sonoma. And then Harmson, Mr. Harmson was so impressed with that. He said, well, what else can we do? And I said, USAC Midgets needs a title sponsor. So Jolly Rancher Candy became the title sponsor of USAC Midgets. And my friends from Fort Collins with their midget, we all went to Turkey Night at Ascot and finished seven, second. But I was the representative for Jolly Rancher and got to give away a ton of candy and found out that I really liked that. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, yeah. and I had a motorcycle road race team. So John sponsored my motorcycle road race team in the AMA. And we did pretty well for a privateer team. And along the way, I met this kid 
named, well, I did some work in the truck series with Corellis because they were from Denver. Rick Corelli and Kathy Corelli and Marshall Chesron owned the truck when he left the South, what was then the Winston West tour. And they started in the NASCAR um, truck series at that point and went to summer, uh, to winter heat out in Tucson for four races with them and Remax. And through them, I met some other people. I met um, Jeff Gordon's stepdad and he introduced me to some people. And eventually I met this guy named Tony Stewart. <laughs> and um, we were on the, um, at the, on the track just before the start of a, tra a race at IRP. And I was introduced to Tony and he looked at me and he was that skinny little kid you know, with all that black curly hair. And he he and Kenny Irwin started on the front row. And so Kenny Irwin sauntered over. And Tony said to me, he said, you know, you're going to want to know me someday. And Irwin says, no, you don't want to know him. You want to know me. And I ended up working basically with the both of them for quite some time until Kenny went to, you know, got to NASCAR as well. And then he had his own PR. But then I was with Tony and I was his business manager and his PR person and chief babysitter for seven years. Wow. So that's kind of what started the whole thing. And then I went from Tony, um, did some contract work for Weld Wheels and uh, for some other you know, for some different entities and different kinds of racing, World of Outlaws, USAC, Silver Crown, different places that I really loved, and Chevrolet called and said, you want a job? And I said, really? And they said, we are going to start a factory truck program in the truck series, NASCAR truck series, and one of our drivers, Jack Sprague, really wants you to be his PR person. And we want you to manage the program, and I, which is where I met my business partner. So we want the two of you to manage it. And the rest is history. Sam and I hit it off. We became business partners. We did that program. And then it has grown. Our involvement then has grown from four factory Chevrolet trucks mm -hmm. to covering NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, and NHRA for Chevrolet and for Shell. And that's where we are today at Trackside. And we have six employees and we do all of the Trackside PR for those two companies in those four series. So that's and, what we do. That's all we got here. And there's no downtime, is there really? No, but it's okay. I don't know what else I would do. Right. Um, you know, I, I really don't. I'm very blessed to have a great family in Minnesota, two brothers and lots of nieces and nephews, tons of friends. But, you know, I don't have children or grandchildren or any of that. So my family is at racetracks everywhere. Oh, for sure. I always have been, you know. So um, I've been lucky enough to help uh, my family when I can. Um, and then have been lucky enough to work with some amazing, amazing drivers in all of those series um, throughout the years. And I feel unbelievably blessed because every year I think, can it get any better? And somehow it does. Um, most of my focus now is on sports cars and IndyCar, but I still have my fingers in NASCAR and NHRA. Yeah, and you know, when you say about family, I, I hear this over and over from people. It's just such a family. And, and it's funny how it, you think that racing is huge. And, and, but when you really start to meet people, like I met someone in Phoenix this weekend. Um, after the race, we went somewhere to get a bite to eat. And two young, a guy and his son had NASCAR shirts on. And, you know, so... Um, Daniel Hemrick had just won the race and what yeah. a great race and oh, it was finish, an amazing race and what a great finish. And so, you know, I struck up a conversation like I always do and we start to talk and the young man and I have a lot in common because we're both media people. And then he, the dad says, do you know so-and-so? And I looked at him, I said, yes. And then we start talking and we know several people the same. And it's just, it's, it's amazing and surprising and wonderful all at once 
that you can just strike up a conversation because it said NASCAR on his shirt and then find out you have mutual friends. And now yeah. the son goes to school here in Arizona, which is where I am for the winter. And we're going to get together. And so now I have more friends and family. And it's, I love it. I absolutely love it. Well, that's how we grow the sport. Um, you know, my goal has always been since I started in this, because when I started in this with Tony and was really thrust into the middle of the NASCAR garage at the height of it, you know, because I took Tony from USAC from, you know, winning his triple crown in USAC to IndyCar and to winning the pole for the Indy 500 mm -hmm. and to come within 29 laps of winning the Indy 500 before he blew an engine mm -hmm. um, to what was Bush Series then. Right. And probably the prettiest race car I've ever seen anybody drive, which is that number 44 Shell Pontiac. Oh, the yeah. Black, yeah, the black and white and red and yellow one. And then to Cup with Home Depot and Joe Gibbs Racing. Yeah. And I just, when I came in there, there were very few women. There oh. were not even a lot of women in the media. Right. And you had to prove yourself every minute of every day. And you had to stay above the freight to yeah. make sure that you were respected mm -hmm. for why you're there and what you're doing and the job you do. Yeah. And so my goal has always been to make it better than it was when I got there and make it easier for young women, not only young drivers, you know, young women to come in and be accepted and have the opportunities, but um, not every woman can be a driver. They can be right. a person, they can be an engineer, they can be in marketing, they can be in public relations, and they all need to have the opportunity to yeah. excel at it because they have a passion for the sport, no matter what series it is, whether it's the dirt track at Houston's or uh, Knoxville or Daytona or Indy, you know, it's the yeah. same, it's the same game. So hopefully, Absolutely. you know, I do that. when I talk to gals, you know, of course, a lot of them, especially if they're younger, what's, what is it you want to do? What's your goal? They want to be the, next world of outlaws champ or the nascar this or that and i always talk to them especially if they're younger still in high school or or you know whatever and and i'm like you know i love your passion i love but what else do you enjoy because everybody can't be the driver we need engineers we need tire specialists we need pr and bookkeeping and travel and all the things for those teams and to be realistic, we have to think, what else can I do? What's my plan B if I can't be the driver? And that's something that I try to encourage and talk to, to women about that it takes so many people to put that driver on the track. And oh, if yeah. you're not the guy or the gal driving the car, how can you stay involved in motorsports? And still, and you know, for me, I never had the desire to be the driver. My son was a race car driver. My granddaughters drive race cars. I never had that desire, but I love the marketing and the PR and the people I meet. It takes all of us, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It takes a village. And what I always tell these young ladies and young men for that matter, you know, the young boys who, you know, they go, I want to be the next Tony Stewart or I want to be the, you know, next now Kyle Larson right. or, or the next Elio Castroneves or the next yeah. Scott Dixon or John Force, pick a sport. And I always tell them, why don't you be the first authentic you? I love that. The most important thing is to be authentic, to be uh -huh. yourself. The way people will connect with you is if you're real. Yes. If you yes. aren't real, if you put on a facade that you can't maintain, and unfortunately, you and I both, we've been here a day or two, we've seen drivers that flame out because they can't keep up the image that right. they think they should be or who they think they should be. Yeah. Then you look at somebody like Elio Castroneves, who has done this for the better part of 
30 years. He wouldn't want anybody to know that. But, you know, I mean, you look at his age, it's realistically, and he does it at the same level. He's always done it. And he is because the Elio that you watch on TV, that exuberance, that passion, that fire, that everything is the same Elio that you'll have a cup of iced coffee or a cup of iced tea with in the paddock during the quiet time on the track. They're the exact same guy. Mm -hmm. That's why everybody connects with him sure. and so on and so on and so on. So they need, you know, the young kids need to be authentic. They need to also know if this road doesn't work, try another one. Okay. If you're not meant to be Steve Kinder or Donnie Schatz, who I've had the pleasure and the honor of knowing Donnie Schott since he was 14 years old and watched him race his very first race and was fairly convinced he wasn't going to live long enough to do what he's done because, but somehow he figured it all out and he had the great support of his family, you know, his parents and his family. And, but not every kid that climbs in a sprint car is going to be Steve or Sammy or Donnie or, you know, Logan Shugart or whatever. So, okay, that doesn't work. What about a dirt weight model? What about, you know, a, a pavement midget in the Midwest or a non-wing sprint car where there's 360s running everywhere where they have 30 to 50 cars in Sun Prairie, Wisconsin on a Saturday night of kids who are just trying to learn how to do it. Yes, and they yes. do it well. Absolutely. And I love what you say about being authentic because that doesn't just apply to race car drivers that applies to everyone the people yes. that you know and you and you like and you connect with it's typically because they're real i say that they're real they're who they are day night you know christmas day um july 4th whatever it might be they're the yeah. same person and yeah. you know when you talk to them who you're getting you yeah. never exactly. know you know you never know sometimes with a NASCAR driver, which one you're going to get on a certain day. And well, there's I, a couple I, of them that come to mind. <laughs> I know. I, I probably have some KB stuff somewhere here. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. he was, he's my, he, you know, I mean, I have several favorite drivers. He just happens to be one of them, but you never know. Which one you're going to get. Which one you're going to get. And, and yet, you know, there's other drivers. I mean, Chase Elliott, he's pretty much the same guy every day unless you ruffle his feathers. Yeah, Martin Truex is the same thing. Martin okay. Truex is the most true, yes. true to himself human being I've ever met. Yeah. He is he's so easy to heal. He is. And he has a heart uh -huh. bigger than is measurable because he's you know, he stayed with Sherry. He's been with her by her side as she goes through all of that. He's a big supporter of Sherry Strong and helping right. raise the money for the charity. Yeah. And yet he is the same guy. Yeah. Um, one of the Corvette drivers that I've had the pleasure to work with is a young man named Antonio Garcia. And he drives the number three Corvette. Okay. And Antonio is the most soft-spoken, quiet. He's a Spaniard, but he's very soft-spoken, very quiet young man. He gets in that car and he's like a transformer. He pushes that shield down and locks it, and a, a whole other human being comes out <laughs> behind the wheel. I mean, not bad, just unbelievable talent, aggression when he needs to have it controlled aggression um he's a winner he's a champion he takes the helmet off pulls the shield up takes the helmet off and he's back to the really quiet soft-spoken guy they there are those who do that very very well right. they do what they need to do in the car but on the outside of the car they're people they're yeah. real people and, and, you know, the, they are real people. And that's the thing that, you know, NASCAR fans and people that watch the sport put people on a pedestal. And that's not fair either because no. they are real people and they have real lives and they have ups and downs just like you and I do. And 
and you know, we say, oh, well, don't take your, don't take your work home and don't take your personal life to your job. That's a lot of times impossible. And so we don't always know what's happening in their personal lives behind the scenes. And I always try to think where they might be coming from because, you know, everybody has bad days, right? Whether it's driving the car or working with the fans or whatever, but you know, we forget that they are real people with real lives, with real problems. And we shouldn't put them on a pedestal and expect them to be perfect or so much better than, than, you know, yes, they set an example for thousands of other young men and women. Yeah, they do. I get that. But we also have to remember that they're human beings. And they deserve the room to be human. You know, you don't know if someone's grandma is ill. Right. You don't know these things about them. They are subject to the same things we are. We're at the, you know, we're 4,000 miles from home and the neighbor calls and says, your burglar alarm just went off. Right. Well, they probably have the same thing happen. Yeah. You know, they, they're just lucky enough to maybe have a caretaker who can go over or a good friend. But yeah. I mean, they, they are. And that's, um, you know, the person who has shown us that more, I mean, a lot of drivers are really, really good at that. But I tell you, one person this year that I've had the absolute honor to work around and get to know is uh, Roman Grosjean. And here is a man who looked like the phoenix rising out of the fire. By all intensive purposes, he probably should have died in that F1 crash last year, the last race. Yeah. But he didn't. Right. For... The reasons that none of us know and probably will never know. He has come to America. Mm-hmm. He has turned into an incredible IndyCar driver. Yes. The fans love him. Yes. He is gracious to them. He is adorable to be around. The media love him. Mm-hmm. And Last year, he was an F1 driver, and we all would have said, oh, he's an F1 driver. Don't pay any attention to him. Not true. He is an amazing human being. And he, you know, when he started telling us all stories about buying the motorhome and putting his wife and kids in the motorhome once they got done with school in France and going all over the country in the motorhome. So they could decide where they wanted to live in America. Mm-hmm. And it was adorable. It was all I, the things that we forget. It I was like know. Scotty McLaughlin does America. It's yeah. like he's in awe of Bed Bath and Beyond. I'm like, I go into Bed Bath and Beyond and go, oh my, I gotta go. But Scotty McLaughlin says, Judy, we don't have this right. where I come from. Right. And Roman Grosjean talked about going to Mount Rushmore. Oh, yeah. And how staggeringly beautiful that was for him and he'd never seen anything like that and I'm thinking to myself you have the Eiffel Tower and the Arsenal Triumph and a few million other things not to mention the law but he was absolutely mesmerized by um Mount Rushmore so we it's been really fun because we all got to get back brought back to the reason we do this and then you see somebody like Pato and Renus who win with such joy Mm -hmm. such joy yeah that and you went oh yeah that's why we do this oh yeah Yeah. that's why we do this and you know one of the reasons that that he might um find joy in the motorhome and and all that is because he did survive and he has a different outlook on things. Oh, he does. And, and the, you know, the fact that they drove in a, the people drove in the motorhome looking for where they want to live. What a smart thing to do. I know. I would have never thought of that. I would have never thought of that. <laughs> and, and then like Mount Rushmore, how many people that live in the United States and maybe even live within three hours, let's say of there have never been there. I've never been. I know. Yeah. Because you tend to take for granted the things that are close, right? close by. Or that they'll you know? always be there. It'll always be there. You know, I live, 
less than an hour from Lake Michigan. And do you know, it's been three summers since I've even been there. And it's such a beautiful, but we all do that. That's so it's really fun to watch in all of these, you know, in all of these series, you know, we get it more in IndyCar and sports car, but yeah. it's happening in every, in NASCAR, it's happening a little bit in NHRA. These kids are these, you know, these people coming in from, I wanted to try this. I didn't know if I can do it or not, you know, and the people, um, they remind you that there is a reason why we are all still so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. So it makes me want to work even harder to make sure there is a place for this to go on after I've finished running around to 30 racetracks a year, you know, and um, I'm, I'm proud of what I've accomplished and I'm proud of the people that I've worked with. Some of them, I, you know, put my face in my hands and went, Oh my gosh. But you know, um, it's it's been a great ride and um i'm very very grateful to a lot of people who gave me a chance when they didn't have to well especially like you say when you started a woman doing what you did or anything in in motorsports was pretty much unheard of and you broke that you broke through and you showed them that it doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman doing that job it's about um credibility it's about knowledge it's about you know being capable of doing what you need to do and that's the same as a race car driver right i you know talk to so many gals i'm like the car doesn't know if you're a girl or a boy no just get in and drive yeah and do your best and if it doesn't measure up to where you think it should Mm -hmm. take a step back and go is it me? Is it the car? Do I just not know enough? And keep in mind that there's some of these guys that have been at it 20 years. Yeah. You know, and I mean, you know, Donnie Schott has 10 championships and 10 Knoxville national wins because he worked hard right. at it. Same with Sammy and Steve and all those guys. But yeah. I do have one story that's really funny. I, th- I think it's funny. When Tony was in the, in the Bush series, we were running IndyCar, because he had to fulfill his contract to John Menard and uh, finish out his IndyCar contract, which was actually IRL then. But, you know, we, he had to honor his contract to John Menard and then also run um, the Bush series for Joe Gibbs. So we were getting toward the end of the season. We were done with IRL and we, he was going to run the last like 10 eight races of the, you know, of the NASCAR Bush series. So um, I went to the NASCAR trailer and I knocked on the door and Mike Helton came to the door and he looked at me and he said, who are you? And I introduced myself and I had the shell shirt on then because I was, he was in the shell car in the Bush series. And I said, I was just wondering if I could speak to you and Mr. Hunter about Tony Stewart because He's going to come to Cup next year, and he's not Jeff Gordon. He's Tony Stewart, but he has an incredible amount of talent. And I just want everybody to give him a chance. And I'm going to work, make sure that he is worthy of it and he earns it, what I can control. But I'd like for you guys to know that. And Mike Hilton, who is giant, he is such a big man. He towers over me almost twice as, as tall as I am. And he looked at me and he said, wow. I said, what? He said, I don't think I've everybody ever had anybody ask to come into the red trailer. I said, well, Dale Sr. comes here all the time. And he goes, that's Dale Sr. That's a whole different thing. He said, I don't think I've ever had anybody else ask to come in. So I went in, I sat down with Mr. Helton, Mr. Hunter and Bill. Bill Jr. He was still alive. And I told him, I asked him to give him a chance. And I told him that he might not be the easiest to work with because he was very passionate about what he did. And, but, and I would work on that as best I could, but to give him a chance because I thought he would be good for NASCAR and that he would do something. Of course, he and Robbie Gordon get in a fist fight the first day of practice at Daytona. And I'm like, and Helton says to me, 
he's going to be good, huh? And I went, oh, but we survived and he did. And when I was at his Hall of Fame dinner, I was invited, I was honored to be invited there and Mr. Helton was there. And he was with a group of people and I went walking by and he said, you aren't going to say hi. And I said, well, I didn't want to interrupt you. You were talking to all these nice people. And he said, come here. He put his arm around me. And he said, he said, I want you to meet Judy Dominic. He said, she's the one we have to blame for Tony Stewart. <laughs> if she hadn't brought him here, we wouldn't have had to put up with all that. I looked up at him and I went, really? And he went, no. He said, thank you. He was everything you said he would be. And then so. And so sometimes you have to take a leap of faith and just hope that you have to believe enough in yourself to know that you can do it, mm-hmm. but you have to be authentic. And I was me. I went in there with like, oh boy, this could go whatever way and I could be in big trouble. But if you don't take that leap, you don't ever know what might happen. No, that's so true. And you know, one of my husband's favorite sayings is, is what's the worst that could happen? They could they could say, no, we don't want to talk. You know, there's a hundred things they could have said. And look at the look at the fun and the the joy and the excitement and the drama that Tony Stewart brought to NASCAR. Yeah. We can't, he did. We can't replace there's never going to be another Tony Stewart. No, no. And people say to me, well, Kyle Larson's as good as Tony. And I said, in some aspects, he might be a better driver, but what he doesn't have, his fire is just channeled way differently. It is. And while he's going to win a lot of races and some tam- a lot of championships, but he will never bring the fireworks with right. it. He will just be that guy who puts his helmet on and goes and does it better than anybody else. Right. You know, one of these days I would just like, to, you know, we never thought Jeff Gordon had a temper and we never thought Jeff Gordon got mad. And all of a sudden we're looking at Jeff Gordon running over the hoods of three cars to get to Kevin Harvick at Bristol and yeah. try to beat the tar out of him and get in a fight with, you know, Jeff Burton on the backstretch at, you know, Charlotte. And you go, so maybe in Kyle somewhere, there's just a teeny bit of fire, but there's a ton of talent, talent that oh, we haven't even tapped. Yeah, it's not even tapped yet. We haven't even seen the scope of the talent in that young man. And and I I've I followed him when he was in NASCAR before. And I was just I always just thought he's so versatile. And I like that about him that he drove a lot of different kinds of cars and everything. But you know, the thing about Tony Stewart, when he sat down at the press conference, you never knew what he was going to say. Nope. And I would just be standing in the back of the room like this. And the media all would turn around and they go, there you go, Jude. I go, Thanks. Yeah. 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 So that, because they would go to him and they did sure. it on purpose, you know, and um, he would take the bait sometimes. Yeah. And it was like, I, I we'd walk in and I'd go, now, don't let him. No, I won't. No, I won't. I got this. I got this. And then, <laughs> boom. But it was okay. It was fun. I wouldn't trade. I would not trade one minute of the seven years with that man for anything. No. I can't. Or any of the other drivers I've worked with. And now it's a whole new crop. And, you know, IndyCar is so fun now because we have all these kids that yeah. are just crazy fast. They are. And they don't know what it feels like to hit a wall at 240 miles an hour yet. They hopefully they don't find out. But I mean, we have 10 kids under the age of 25 that are rock stars. Yeah. And the old guys are going, hmm, where'd they come from? But 10 years ago, they were those kids. Right. So, you know, it's a good, it's a, what's going on in racing right now is. Awesome. You know, Chevrolet has the average, the youngest average age of drivers in NASCAR. So between all of our teams, we have the youngest group of drivers, which is exciting because that means long term, you know, we can do something and hopefully they'll do something. Yeah. And didn't Chevrolet, let's plug them a little bit. Didn't they just win the manufacturer's championship? Correct. Yes. Drivers 
and owners in Cup. In Cup. We won the manufacturers in Xfinity. Okay. As well. And um, we're about to win manufacturers, drivers, and team in uh, IMSA with Corvette Racing, and they'll finish one, two. And then Cadillac, it's going to, we've won the manufacturers, but it's going to be a heck of a battle down to see whether we can get the driver's title and the owner's title. Um, the 31 wheeling Cadillac is going to have to beat um, that Acura of um, Michael Shank racing with um, Ricky Taylor in it. And um, so it'll be a great race at Petite this weekend. Yeah. And Brittany Force is second in the points, mm -hmm. um, going in top fuel for going into the final. Right. And then Greg Anderson and Erica Enders yeah. are 38 points apart and both of them going for their fifth title. Mm -hmm. Greg is already the winningest pro stock driver ever. So he broke all of Warren Johnson's records except titles but he's broke all the rest of them but he has more wins than warren nobody else nobody else has more wins than Greg in pro stop mm -hmm. so um even bob glidden i thought maybe bob glidden would have more wins but he didn't but they didn't run as many races back then either when glidden was racing so we have a lot that can happen this weekend too yeah and i just you know i i listen to serious radio and there was a, I'm pretty sure it was there that I heard the, some, a gentleman from Chevrolet that was Mr. Campbell. He's my boss. Big boss. Okay. All right. Yeah. That was telling about, about their success and everything. And, and he said that our goal every year is to win the manufacturer's championship, Correct. you know, and everything. And, and I loved hearing from that side of it. It's not just the racers it's the people like him and it means a lot to the whole team everybody involved and i i just i can't say enough about motorsports and how much i love it well you do a great job with this and i know the women in racing appreciate everything you do and thank you so much for doing this and don't give it up it's it has such value you just don't know how much value it has oh i appreciate that especially coming from you because that's that's a huge compliment, Judy. That really makes my day. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So is, is there anything I haven't asked you about that you'd like to share or, you know, um, I just, I just don't want to leave anything out. You're so fun to talk to. <laughs> well, you know, when you go back, when I had the motorcycle dealership, I had an AMA race team and I had two 750 super bikes and I had a, a thousand cc endurance bike two 600 super sports and a tz250 and we went and ran the ama circuit as a privateer team which would be like being furniture row racing in cup yeah and um against all the factory yamaha suzuki honda Ducati, yeah. you know and um then when I was in the BMW, when I was in the motorcycle business, I had Yamaha, BMW, and Ducati in my dealership. And I was fortunate enough to have been voted the president of the um, U.S. dealer board for each one of those brands because I was the only female that owned a dealership. That's very and um, Yamaha, the Japanese were a little like, what? Um the Italians loved it, um, which was sometimes problematic, but it, we worked our way through it. And the Germans were like, seriously? But when I sold a lot of motorcycles for them, then they got over the fact that I was female. Sure. And um, I love motorcycle racing. I still, to this day, I sit and watch MotoGP or I tape it if I'm not, gonna, if I'm not home because, you know, those, that's such a skill set that oh. if you're not around it, you don't understand the skills that go into that. Yes. And those, you know, not that any, to take anything away from anybody that races on four wheels, but they have two wheels in road racing or flat track. They have a one inch patch uh -huh. of tire on the yeah. track service and they have two wheels and they are the roll cage. You know, know. tape around them. So when it goes wrong, it usually goes really wrong. Bad. 
Yeah. But on the other hand, when it doesn't, it's the most amazing thing to watch. And um, so I've stayed attached to that. I was really lucky back in the day to have been the only importer in the United States for Marvick wheels, Marchesini wheels, and Brembo brakes for motorcycles. And I sponsored Team Roberts in what was then called um, uh, MotoGP, um, 500cc MotoGP yeah. for Wayne Rainey and Eddie Lawson and John Kaczynski and Kenny Roberts Jr. And to this day, I get to call Wayne Rainey a friend and I'm really proud of that. He, um, he and I had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun together as well as the kid, all the kids that rode for me. And I don't know, I love midgets. I love sprint cars. It's hard when you do the job I do. You have to make sure that you don't walk over the fan line. Uh huh. But when I go to a motorcycle race or I go to a dirt track, or I hopefully get to go someday to an F1 race. But if I don't, I'm watching on my television. I geek out and I am the biggest race fan on the Absolutely. planet. When Absolutely. I do my job, you can't do that. You have to maintain that distance of professionalism. And sometimes things go awry that you have to respond to. And so you have to be a professional. Absolutely. But I am still a huge fan of racing. And the day I don't work on a pit road or a pit lane or whatever, I will go and I will cheer my brains out just like all the rest of them in the grandstands. So I have, an interesting, I have an interesting story to share with you. So um, I met my second husband and he was a big motorcycle fan. He had ridden motorcycles since he was little. He has a Yamaha FZ1 still to this day. It has... Um, I don't know, 70 some thousand miles on it. Wow. And it's as good today as it was when he bought it. It's a great yeah. bike. But anyway, so when I met him, he said the fun is not on the back. And so one day on my lunch hour, I went to the Secretary of State's office and I took the motor, the, the written test and I passed it. And so then I could, I had my little card so I could you know, ride with a, with a seasoned driver. So I took it home and showed it to him and he was blown away. And I was 50 years old and we went and bought a, a little Honda 250 or something little to learn how, so I could learn how to right. ride. And I had a Honda shadow and then I had a VTX, Honda VTX 1300R. And I rode and I had that until I had back surgery and I just couldn't couldn't drive the bike anymore but we used to go to mid-ohio to the motorcycle races year best track best track year i bet 10 years in a row we went there it was like our it was like the thing we looked forward to the most the whole summer nikki hayden the yeah. bostrom boys um oh and number one what was do um do hamel yeah, Miguel Duhamel. Miguel Duhamel. I just, we absolutely loved those, those guys and going those there. Those super bikes. Yeah, so oh fast. Oh my gosh. So was, fast. And fast. Oh my goodness. Oh, we sat in the keyhole and, and it was just, you know, you had to go at 6 a.m. to put your thing up so you'd have shade. It, it was just our favorite, favorite thing to do. And yeah. You know, now we're into all kinds of racing, but um, that still is where our hearts are. Is yep. you know, we love. It's hard to shake it. Those things, you know, you sit there and listen to them go up through the gears and that thing screaming at 14, 5, 15,000 RPMs. Yeah. It's really hard to beat that. Oh, gosh. And Michael Jordan had a team. Um, yes, he did. At the time. And, and then when he became involved in, in NASCAR, you know, I had people say, wow, I, he's, in, he's interested in racing. I said, oh, he's been in racing a long time. You yeah. just didn't know it because you didn't follow yeah. motorcycle racing, you know. Um, and the one, the one, and I, I really never had a lot of fear. And so the one time at Mid-Ohio, they were offering, you know, you could pay to ride on the back and they would take you around the track, right? At how many fast? I don't know, but it was fast. And so I kept saying to my husband, I want to do it. I want to do it. He said, go, go do it. As I start to walk over 
to where you go to pay your money, it starts to rain. Oh, and I never got to do it. And, and I said, God was telling me I was too old. And I shouldn't be doing it. So he caused the rain to come. But I would have loved it. I would have loved to do that, to ride on the I, um, Yeah, I was writing a piece because I did a lot of writing also um, during the motorcycle days, the truck series days. I don't have, then it became, I couldn't do any, I didn't have time. I did a radio show for a while out of Denver, Colorado, and I loved that. But I was doing a piece for Yamaha's International Magazine. And it was when um, um, Moto, you know, the whole Moto GP was at Laguna Seca. Mm -hmm. And so they asked me, do you want to ride? around the track and I said with who and they said with Johnny K and I said yeah I will and they looked at me and I said how am I supposed to write a story right. about what they do yeah. if I don't I've watched them for years and years and years. I buy all the stuff that makes them do what they do for my guys and other guys, but I don't know how they do what they do. I know. So they put me on, it was a super bike. It wasn't his GT bike because they weren't that dumb. And uh, so they put me on a super bike. It was a world super bike and it was a Yamaha. And, but I'm on the back. You know, because they only have the one little saddle. So I'm kind of, he said, okay, squish down in here as far as you can behind me. And so then back then we had the quick fills on the tank where the quick fill dropped into the tank. So I pushed it in and I held on with my fingers like that and had my arms around him. And I had full leathers on, my helmet, my boots, my gloves, the whole thing, you know, knee pucks and everything. And he said, okay, just move with me. I said, no problem. So, you know, we take off out of the pits, head up that hill at Laguna Seca. And I'm thinking to myself, who's going to call my mother and tell her I died on a motorcycle? <laughs> and I thought, nope, nope, nope. I did the right thing. So we went the first lap and we and came down through the corkscrew. And I'm screaming at the top of my lungs because it is the coolest thing I've ever done. I'm so jealous. Oh, my God. We pulled down pit lane and he says, are you, he turns around and he goes, are you OK? I said, do another one. He said he looked at them all and they went, you want to do it? And he said, she's perfect. She knows exactly what to do. Right. He said she leaned when I leaned. She did everything. And he said, so they, she, you know, he said, because sometimes they get people on there that wiggle all around and they go, nope, nope, nope. And they'll just back it off and wick it down and just coast around. And so we took another lap. And um, I just, I will never forget that. That was the most incredible ride. The second best ride I probably ever had was in a stock car with Dale or with in Illumina with Dale Earnhardt Sr. at Daytona. Mm. and he was giving we were giving some customer rides and he looked at me and he went hey I said yes he said you want to go for a ride I said yeah and he looked at my boss and my boss said if she's dumb enough to go ride with you go ahead <laughs> and I got in and he did everything he possibly could to try to scare me because I'm watching the third turn wall coming at him and we're only like this far from the from the back stretch wall, I swear, yeah. and it was a hoot. And then the the other best ride I ever had was in a Corvette with Juan Pablo at Indy, and that was just crazy. He is so crazy good; it's unbelievable. But I don't. Hey, I'm it. so jealous. I'm so <laughs> jealous of your experiences because I would have gotten in all three of those rides without thinking because. I just don't have the fear. I mean, when you get on and you're going, that's a different story. But I just would not have hesitated because it's just, it's just oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. Well, you like I said, I've, been, I've been very, very blessed. I've been very lucky. I've yeah. worked hard, but I'm grateful for every opportunity I've had. And I'm not done yet. I'm no. not done. Oh, I know you're not. I still see oh. the fire in your eyes. There. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sad that this coming weekend is the last weekend. I it's like, geez. But 
then January will be here before we know it and we'll be scrambling to get the Rolex. So, right. You know, Absolutely. So. It just goes so quick. I mean, 36 races of NASCAR went by in a flash. Yeah. yeah. And we had two weeks off for the Olympics, you I know? know, so I just, I'm, I'm so excited for, for this year. I went to my first Indy race, Judy, in yeah. Nashville this year. Awesome. So awesome. Amazing. And I've got my tickets for my first Indy 500. Good. So I'm so excited about that. And, you know, where are your seats? You know what? I'm not sure because I reached out to somebody that I know, but I'll let you know where they are. They're good seats because I had a connection that I met through this. Well, we do. Yeah. You um, will. There's one thing about the Indy 500. All of the other races, you know, the big races in any series are amazing. But there is just something about the start mm -hmm. of the Indy 500 that you don't see any place else. You no. don't feel it. Um, when that place is full of 300,000 plus people, yeah. the drivers feel it. Everybody feels it. It's just crazy how fun it is. Well, and I'm, I'm told that the pre-race, the whole oh. pre-race thing is worth everything to go. And that's, yeah. why I'm just, I can't wait. I'm looking. Kleenex in your pocket though, because some of it will make you cry. It's yeah. just I'm sure. so touching, so touching. Some of the things they do. I'm so They're excited good about honoring, you know, the history and honoring those who came before us. They're very good about that. Yeah. So. Well, Judy, I could talk to you for hours, but I know that you probably need to go have dinner and we will definitely see each other again. I hope so. Um, I just, I'm, I'm so honored and pleased that you agreed to be on my podcast. I love the stories you've told and, and your passion and, and what you've shared. And um, we're going to have to do this again because we didn't get through near the stories, I'm sure. No, we didn't, but I'd love to. I'd love right. to. Maybe we can talk again before the season starts next year and we can see what we got in front of us with the that new cars like and idea. all that stuff. All awesome. right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you, Judy. You have a good evening. You too.